I'm in medical research. There's a lot of money in it. There's plenty for you. I don't want money. Yeah. What do you want? I want to hear you scream. Secret Cinema, a film podcast that brings dead mediums back to life. I'm Carrie Chafee, my co-host is Paolo Caron, and this week we are rejoined by our composer and friend, Ricardo Ortiz, to discuss Wes Craven's 1988 voodoo horror film, The Serpent and the Rainbow. Now, before we get too far, I want to mention that right before recording this episode, we had recorded another episode, our discussion for Apt Pupil, and we were all feeling a little goofy and burnt out. But don't you worry, our goofiness leads to some pretty excellent discussion. Anyway, to kick it off, here's Paolo with the plot summary. In the midst of a revolution, ethnobotanist Dr. Dennis Allen travels to Haiti to uncover the rumored zombie powder for a large pharmaceutical company. While there, Allen makes a friend in Dr. Marielle Duchamp, a native Haitian and psychiatrist. But he makes an enemy of Dargent Petrod, the captain of the Tonton Maku and a practitioner of dark voodoo. When Alan recruits a local witch doctor to help create his own zombie powder, he realizes too late that he is digging his own grave. The Serpent and the Rainbow is chock full of exposition. Almost every moment uses dialogue or Bill Pullman's narration to explain what is happening on screen. Because of this, it made finding noteworthy samples a challenge. So, I decided to embrace the exposition in this next clip. You'll hear local voodoo priest Lucian, played by Paul Winfield, describing the menacing leader of the Tantan Maku to old Billy Pullman. Here's that clip, and we shall find you on the other side for our discussion of The Serpent and the Rainbow. Yes, he is the one to watch. Captain Petro. Please. Being a Buka, the black magician, is beneath contempt. He's a chief at the Tonto Moku, Dubai's secret police. You have seen him before, perhaps, hmm? Yeah, someplace. Be careful, my friend. In Haiti, there are secrets we keep even from ourselves. of The Secret Cinema. This week we've got a wonderful returning guest of... And not just our guest. Yes, but uh, a a member. 
our beloved composer. Yes! And I think legally, I'm an uncle. Yes. Uncle, uncle, uh... Of the podcast? <laughs> yes, of the podcast. Uncle itself. podcast. Of the podcast. That's I'm going to make you a t-shirt. That say that. But his yeah. name is Ricardo Ortiz. <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo Ortiz, everybody. He's back again. Yes, he has joined us to discuss the lesser known Wes Craven movie, The Serpent and the Rainbow. And uh, I'm going to let him kick it off. It's good to be back. I just want to say, <laughs> back in the Chicago area here at Pauline Avenue. Oh. Um, yeah. Um... <laughs> Very excited about this movie. This was uh, an interesting Wes Craven movie, I would have to say. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think we talked about how it's different from their other movies. And this is this is the second one we've actually done on this podcast. We also did his final movie, My Soul to Take. And this that, is... I don't think that was his final movie. I think Scream oh, 4 Scream was four? his oh, final movie. Either way. What a swan song. Yeah. Went, out, <laughs> went out with the scream. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, uh, and... I, I just realized this movie involves the taking of souls as well. So yeah. oh, oh, oh. we will have some themes to get into. But really, I apologize for interrupting. Oh no, no, no. Well, and uh, one of the reasons, so part of why I introduced the episode is because I put this movie on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm taking ownership 32 of... episodes in, Karen gets her <laughs> own episode. This isn't my episode. My episode, and all the episodes are my episodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I put this on the list is we actually saw this with Ricardo mm-hmm. and um, our friend Courtney and a couple other people. But we saw it at the Music Box of Horrors. Good time. Uh, with, yes, always a good time. And I had never seen it before. I will be honest, I'm not the biggest Wes Craven fan. Hmm. Uh, I like I like the Scream movies. I think they're really funny. I don't necessarily think they're super scary. <laughs> Although I do scream sometimes when I watch them because there's a lot of good jump scares. But I am not the biggest Nightmare on Elm Street fan. Um, I didn't particularly like my soul to take. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, but I, we, we went through a lot of his old, like, uh, lesser known movies, and I've liked a few of those more than his, like, franchise mainstream ones. And this one in particular really stuck out to me, uh, partially because I love Bill Pullman. Mm. Who doesn't like a good Bill Pullman? Right? Him and, and Paxton, I mean, you can fight it out all, Bills. all day, but... Bill, 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 Bill. That's what the he, crowd chants at yeah, the fight between the two oh, of them. I was going to say, he returned this weekend too, Bill Nye. But yeah, so uh, we saw it and I told Paolo I thought we should add it to our list. And two years later... Here it is. <laughs> so now we're talking about it. Woo! And luckily, Ricardo picked it. Indeed. Yeah, I did. I really like this, which was interesting to find out this is only his third movie. Yeah. Follow up to Spaceballs. Oh, yeah. yes. I don't know, a treasure from my youth. I don't know about you, too. It's weird to think that Bill Pullman did Spaceballs, which is a uh, comedy, and then he was like... That was he, a comedy? I know. <laughs> Such a surprise. The documentary Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and then he, then he was like, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to get into the horror genre. I guess he's not really a, a genre sticker. 
doesn't, uh, he kind of does, does it all, because uh, I yeah. really like he him. He was Mr. Wrong in Mr. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Titular character. I forgot about that. Wow. How I think America forget forgot about that. <laughs> I think Ellen forgot about it, too. The awards but certainly forgot about it. He also is in Igby Goes Down. He's the, like, suicidal dad. It's pretty sad. <laughs> oh, it's a strong role. To sad play. role. I uh, can't forget about Independence yep. Day. Mm. Mr. President. This is our serpent and the rainbow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what would his typecast be? Just like, he's like the straight guy? Definitely know, like, a straight guy. Focused. Driven. Quietly spoken. Yes, yeah. he is very self-spoken. Yeah. But kind of a good dude. Charming. Yeah. <laughs> In his <laughs> subtle American ways. Oh boy. Yeah, he's like got that all American look. Yeah. I think that's why he's so generically appealing. And he's got that smirk down, you know? Yeah. That, like, yeah. Champion smirk. Can't we should that. coin a phrase for his smirk the way we did for Dennis Quaid's well, smile. Well, Dennis Quaid's smile, the Bermuda smile discovery, <laughs> took a lot of research. <laughs> Bermuda smile. Bill Pullman, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to think a little harder on this yeah. one. Yeah, we will. Anyway, so Bill Pullman's in this movie. Yes. Um, and then pretty much, like, there's a couple other... That's, they're all character actors. Everyone yeah. else yeah. is recognizable, like, Kathy Tyson and Paul Winfield. Yeah, and Paul Winfield. Zake Smoke, who we didn't even realize. That, that was in Krippendorf's Tribe. <laughs> so oh, he's Check that officially out. a secret cinema regular now. <laughs> yeah, actually, a lot of the people in this movie were also in Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah. Which, oh, man, Eddie Murphy. Which, Again, another bad Wes Craven movie. And written by, rest in peace, Charlie Murphy. Oh, too soon. No yeah. way! Yeah. I didn't know Charlie that. Murphy co-wrote Vampire Brooklyn and Norman. So, oh, we'll miss man. his stand-up career yeah. very much. <laughs> Underappreciated. Oh, too soon, Bella. Yeah. Hey, I like Charlie Murphy. <laughs> I just don't like those two movies. Well, and then this, this movie came out in 1988, so it's... Um, it was well into Wes Craven's career. Yeah. And they shot it, like, most of it in uh, in Haiti. Yeah. I read, what, a little bit in the Dominican Republic, too? A little bit, but that's after things got really tense in Haiti. Oh, yeah? So I Do got a couple tell, backstories. Ricardo. Okay, so, um, the background. This was um, loosely based on the Dulier. Uh, forgive me if I pronounce that uh, incorrectly. Um, regime, which was introduced in 1957 by Francois Papa Doc Um, which was also maintained by his son Jean Claude Baby Doc. Baby Doc Doulier. Um, but that's where Do you the think he picked that nickname, or they just that was just oh the Doc thing. Yeah, Baby I Doc. Know. I yeah. think they were a Looney Tunes fan. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the thing about that though, um, that's where the Tone Tone Maku were based off of the oh, secret yeah. police in this movie. Um, but so thanks to Rue Morgue, which was one of my favorite magazines, um, I got a lot of research off of that. But uh, during that time when they were shooting, there was a lot of social unrest uh, due to like them finally getting out of this uh, dictatorship. This dictatorship, yeah. I read on uh, IMDb that the, the government told Wes Craven and his crew that they couldn't guarantee their safety. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, sorry, but uh, we can't guarantee you're safe here. <laughs> Good luck! Yeah, that was some crazy stuff. Like, so locals, when they found out that the crew was being led by a woman, like, almost stoned 
everybody to death. Whoa! Whoa. Yeah, that was one of the things that happened. So there's like a plague of things. People were like getting nauseous and vomiting, even though they were taking in their own food at their hotel and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of that. People would say that like people were having hallucinations. Like Bill Pullman had a hallucination about a green cow with TVs for eyes. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so people, they would say that like... It man, I gotta like, draw that. Right? Green cow poster. with TV. Oh, man. But there was, like, people said that it just felt like their minds were being invaded at all times. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it sounds like this was almost Wes Craven's Aguirre Wrath of God. Yeah. <laughs> he went real. He, he went real uh, deal. Local. Yeah. But, but oh, yeah. During the opening scene, sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. Um, with the uh, funeral procession with the candlelight. So they originally hired 70 locals to do that. Yeah. Um, and then they told all their relatives that there was these people filming and paying for film, like, extras. So then the next day, like, like three times as many people <laughs> showed oh, up. Shit? Yep. And so they almost couldn't pay them. And then they said they had to, like, scrape together all the cash they had. Just to pay these people off, and then the next day they said like like over a thousand people showed up. Oh my god! And so that there was no way to pay all these people, and so they started to like riot and like <sighs> shut down like the production, and like it wasn't until like a priest intervened and like pulled these people into their courtyard, and then like uh, that they were safe. But then like Wes Craven and one of the other producers were left out there to fend for themselves. Oh my god! Yeah, I know, right? This is real. <laughs> And so, like, and then what happened, they were, like, encroaching upon them, and one of the, the lad, one of the producers, I believe, like, jumped on a bus, lit a cigar, and then started negotiating with this mob of angry people. <laughs> wow. So what had happened was, see, what had happened was, um, <laughs> people, they kept half of the crew as hostage, and then they had to go back to Miami, literally load up a Learjet full of cash, and come back to like free the crew and <laughs> that's how they ended up in the Dominican Republic wow yeah, they said there's soldiers guarding them and like button people off with the rough like the the butt of their rifle while they're delivering and like taking what? the hostages back and so like it was a very tumultuous time very yeah jeez sounds like yeah. <laughs> wow it's a very poor country at yeah. That time. Well, yeah particularly where they're shooting yeah yeah, yeah. and that, a lot of that stuff that you described is like it seems like it's sort of reflected in the movie itself like, oh man that's yeah. one of the things that I I think is interesting that doesn't happen in most Wes Craven movies is he gets a little political mm. there's a lot of you know they they touch on the conflict that's happening in Haiti when the film is supposedly happening. Yeah, especially at the end where there's the actual revolution and oh, uprising yeah. and he's coming out of this like battle with what was quoted as the black exploitation Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Or Freddie Krueger, <laughs> yeah. not Freddie Mercury. <laughs> but um yeah, and there's all these people tearing down signs and they said the people who were part of the Tone Tone Maku like their graves were like ripped up and people were going into hiding and it was That was another thing is um the voodoo Catholicism, you know, there's not usually a lot of religious themes in Wes Craven's movies either. He's usually like a straight horror guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. I will, I just realized though, when you're saying that political, the movie, if anything, that might made me think of was People Under the Stairs, which is uh, not only his best movie, but his most political movie because it has mm. that whole class issue yeah. of the, the poor black people who are having to rob people because they have no money or means of upward mobility and so they go to rob the cruel landlords that are trying to like kick them out of their property and the landlords are like fucked up and evil but it's still like there's a similar level of like 
there is like a, a ruling class. Like yeah, he definitely. He, yeah, he doesn't get too specific with his politics, but he does see that battle between the ruling class and the oppressed, and oh, that does yeah. seem to come up uh, quite often. He was also a big supporter of Planned Parenthood, yeah. so, I mean, uh, I'm not saying he's not political, I just mean most of his films stay in the pure entertainment oh, yeah, category. I, that, yeah. I mean, I don't think screen, any of the screen movies touch on, you know... Like George Bush or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny you brought that up, like the notion of uh, underclass, because like in, I feel like Romero, a lot of yeah. the zombies represent underprivileged or underrepresented. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, Romero's really great about incorporating political commentary yeah, into his zombie movies. He's mm-hmm. like, every of the dead movie is based around the decade that it's set in. Like, uh, I, I mean, Night of the Living Dead is very specific to, like, 60s civil unrest. Dawn of the Dead is commenting on, like, 70s, like, mall culture and, Jewelism, like, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Day of the Dead is, like, the bleak 80s. <laughs> where it's, uh, and then, like, Land of the Dead is the 2000s, like, George W. Bush era America, so on and so forth. But, like, yeah, it's it's way more explicit in a Romero movie. And Wes Craven is... I, think, I feel like Wes Craven, especially watching this, it really drove home for me that Wes Craven focuses on the plot more than anything yes. mm-hmm. like even to i would argue to a certain extent more than the scares like it is i've never watched a west craven movie and have been unable to follow the plot because it seems like all of the resources are driven towards like making sure the plot is clear and f- thoroughly explained uh and yeah like i, I like that though yeah I, a lot of horror movies you know it can be pretty ambiguous or well like you know, the three of us have watched plenty of movies where we're like, wait, 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 how did that person get from that scene to this scene? Or weren't they just injured in the last scene and now they're fine? And there's problems with just, like, the through line of the plot. And I don't know, I like that Wes Craven's like, okay, we go to point A, then we go to point B, and then we go to point C, and you... And and then the movie's over, and everybody claps, and I get millions of dollars. (laughs) Well, I think, and I guess that's probably... Uh, we kind of talked to, we've talked about this before, but like, Wes Craven is a director who I love, I love People on the Stairs, and I really like Hills Have Eyes, and then basically everything after that I don't like. Like, I, 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 I like, yeah, you're I, not a, you're not a big Wes Craven it's, fan. I, like, New I, Nightmare? Did you like New Nightmare? Oh, we just rewatched uh, it, and I, like, I fell asleep about 30 minutes. <laughs> I really liked it. It was an interesting way yeah. to take that. I like yeah. I I have never I, with his movies I tr- I try all of them I I watched Deadly Blessing twice to try to make it work. Uh, like, I really want it. Really want it's an Amish horror movie. Come on, it seems like it should be good. But um, I think as uh, just saying me specifically, I really tend to like movies for their ability to use the plot to tie in external elements. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I, I mentioned this before, but I, my problem with this movie is that it is all plot to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I really, like, I think that watching this movie, I don't really get a feel of what Haiti is like. And I don't sure. really get a feel of voodoo. Like, and we, well, we, we were in New Orleans last year when we went and saw Nicolas Cage's grave. And when we were in that graveyard, <laughs> the woman who gave us the tour was telling us about how in New Orleans, voodoo is 
100% embraced by the Catholic Church of New Orleans. See, yeah. And they said that they'll you, when they do a voodoo ceremony, the church, the Catholic Church hosts it and gives them a safe place to do it. So watching this movie where it's like, voodoo is scary. It's like, I'm already at the point where it's like, I understand voodoo enough where it's like, it's not scary. It's just really wonderful. I love voodoo. It's really interesting. And then it's like... It's way more interesting than Catholicism. Yeah, and then, but it's, it's not... It, but then the movie isn't doing anything where it's like, here's what it means to the Haitian people right. or anything. It's sure. just like this... Ne it's very nebulous. There's not a lot of context. Yeah. And so I... And like I said, this is not a thing where I'm like, I clearly understand that this is my point of view, but for me... Uh, without that extra context, I, I uh, a plot isn't enough for me. Like, sure. yeah. See, I feel this is the first movie that I saw that involved voodoo that actually mentioned the connection between voodoo and Catholicism. Okay. Because I feel like a lot of times people have the misconception that voodoo is related to Satanism or yeah. raising the dead or like... <laughs> You know, things that I feel that other movies have or kind of... Or it gets, of... like, caricaturized. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like uh, other movies kind of go on the more extreme end of it, being like, you know, people are just cutting off chickens, yeah, yeah. left and right, and drinking blood. And this has a fair amount of blood drinking, yeah. don't get me wrong. I don't, and I don't necessarily <laughs> think this movie is, like, criminalizing. It doesn't no. make voodoo as a whole seem like this, like, horrible thing. I just, like, I wish... I, I wish I could watch this movie and, I don't know, it, like, it's a very stupid thing I'm about to say, but I feel like I should have, I wanted to learn something yeah. from this Australian movie. I mean, this <laughs> makes sense, like, I mean, with voodoo being the central theme to walk away with nothing yeah. new about voodoo, and that could just be your personal, you know, yeah. experience with voodoo, but, like, that says something. That does say something. I also think it's interesting because what you just said about how you approach a movie and what you want to get out of it, for me... When I watch a movie, there's a few things I look for. I usually look for great visual effects. Mm. Yeah. That's very important to me. I will sometimes think that a movie is wonderful if it has a spectacular set and costume design despite being like a terrible plot <laughs> yeah. or or like nothing happens. That's why I, I am such a sucker for those like Technicolor musicals mm. because they've got like People dancing in the most wonderful costumes I've ever spinning. seen, and they're they're on this like amazing set, but they're singing maybe the stupidest song mm -hmm. that's ever been written, and it's like I don't even care. I just love looking at it. <laughs> and then another thing for me that I really like is subtext. This movie does not have subtext. There's no subtext going on. And then I like I like when things happen. I'm not just waiting for like an effect. Yeah. And so this movie has in my opinion, wonderful visual effects. I think that some of the the scare tactics in this movie are some of his best, like when the hand comes out of the suit, oh, yeah, or yeah. when he's when Bill Pullman is in the coffin and the coffin starts filling with blood. That's sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or even just in the first, like, I think it's in the first ten minutes when he, is it he, like, drinks... Something from and the then, Amazon. Yeah, medicine, yeah. He, he drinks the medicine and then he gets pulled into this tunnel that has hands sticking out yeah. that are trying to drag him down. Which is a craven thing. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, a lot of that stuff gets repeated. You know, I always think about in Nightmare on Elm Street when uh, is it uh, Freddy comes like through the wall or like the, the oh you can see his face pushing yeah like through. push through the wall. That's so I sweet, always think yeah. about that or like all the Escher scenes where they're like mm -hmm. in the dreamscape and which appears in this movie at one point. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I think that stuff is Wes Craven's strengths, mm -hmm. like like his ability to imagine 
a scary monster and then make that scary monster scary and in the context of a plot. And you saying the dream thing, not only Nightmare on Elm Street, but I feel like that's part of my soul to take and like a few others where he does like that. He, he does love the opportunity a dream provides because mm-hmm. every in this movie, every time there is a dream sequence, I feel like that's the only time the plot stops. And when it is a dream sequence, it's like, okay, there are no rules for what's happening. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, no, nothing has to come of this. It doesn't have to be justified. So he goes crazy with these like effects. Like there's no, these aren't CG. These are practical effects driven Right. Horror sequences. Except for the end. Except for the end. <laughs> but like the the part where the the voodoo bride corpse shows oh. up and, oh, and yeah, she like lifts pulls her so off. Yeah, oh, like that's just it looks so good. It, yeah, it has that like grossness that makes it like even if it's not necessarily scary. Like for me, it's not scary, but it has the good thing of being repulsive, and uh, repulsion is good horror to me. Like we've talked about this yeah. before. Yeah, we've means, talked about repulsion. Yeah, the movie. But like, yeah, something. <laughs> Being effectively gross in a, cir- a circumstance where you're supposed to be like, oh, that's a bad thing, that that counts for me as scary to in certain in certain situations, and this is one of them. Like right. it works here, but not like torture porn. Though. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's just gross and like, for why are we watching like this? Like Saw, but right. like the Saw movies. I, movies. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. watch the Saw. But yeah, like in this this. Yeah, seeing like a, a, a zombie pull its jaw open for a snake to pop out is like that's cool, yeah. gross. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah and then the snake that. bites him in the face. Yeah, that's that's some cool stuff. And Wes Craven resists the urge to show when Bill Pullman gets the stake through his scrotum. Oh so, yeah, like, I feel like that scene that's could be memorable. way more traumatizing. Yeah. and See? they really just like glaze right <laughs> over it. Like he gets the stake <laughs> through his scrotum, and then the next scene he's dumped in the street and he's got bloody underwear. Yeah. That's it. That's like all that it took. But at the same time, let's discuss like our audience reaction. Like, yeah. so you totally <laughs> forgot about that happening, having seen it. You repressed having yeah. seen it. I've seen this three and times. I can't yeah. not remember that happened. So like three very different reactions from people who have seen this movie. We've all seen this movie before, watching again, you know, for this. Um, yeah, there's certain things that stick out. And yeah, it's funny, I wrote down dream villains because yeah. like Craven dream does villains. tend to have a lot of dream villain me. Dream <laughs> villains would be a great band name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the dream villains that killed me in your bed. <laughs> I imagine they sing songs kind of like Sticks. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> totally going to make this song next podcast. Next, uh, next round of podcast songs. But just dream going on. Yes. I'm dreaming. <laughs> I, um, just like going off the visuals. <laughs> I also really loved all the stuff with Lucian. Lucian is Bill Pullman's only, like, Haitian friend besides the female lead. Uh And there's a scene where, you know, he is trying to protect Bill Pullman from all the the voodoo curses and things that are being put on him. And he ends up getting murdered. Right? He dies? It's kind of unclear. You blood out your mouth. I feel (laughs) an horror movie. That's at the end. Or Kung Fu, for that matter. Yeah, and he spits blood out of his mouth, but then a scorpion crawls out of his mouth. And and then later he, like, pulls his head off his body. (laughs) Throws throws it. (laughs) That's so cool. Like, I, I love that kind of stuff. And this movie has enough of that where the problems that I have with this movie, like, I really don't care for the female lead in this movie. I think she is... She's an exposition 
dump slash justification. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how much of the real book actually They wrote that it. in. Like, like but yeah. it seemed like either she was a real person that guided the author around Haiti. To, it was like, I know where to go. Let's go here. Or it was just like they needed that character to serve that function in the movie. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, this is based off of a book called The Serpent and the Rainbow, a Harvard scientist's astonishing journey in the secret societies of Haitian voodoo, zombies, and magic. <laughs> Gee, why didn't they take that title for the movie? Yeah, and that was written by uh, Wade Davis. He's actually a Canadian anthropologist. See, I have ethnobotanists yes, in my research. Yes, he's also an ethnobotanist. Awesome. But he, uh, that book, Serpent in the Rainbow, was his doctoral thesis. Wow. So, he, and he went to Harvard. Ooh, Harvard. Harvard. It says it in the name. Yes, so he, but he actually got a lot of criticism after it came out because, you know, he's writing about these potions and powders and all these things that are supposed to have this voodoo effect, but his book has, like, no science. <laughs> and so all the scientists came out and were like, um... About this. Science? Yeah. Anthro you know, as an anthropologist, you're a social scientist, but that's not hard science yeah. like no peer review was happening on this, <laughs> on this trip but yeah he actually uh he i found this out this is so funny to me but he only agreed to sell the rights to this book if peter weir directed the movie and mel gibson started it. and neither of those things happened <laughs> So he sold the book rights, and then they were like, well, fuck that guy. Yeah, uh, uh, can't get Mel Gibson. He's not interested in spending three well, months in in the, 80s, in the 80s, Peter Weir and Mel Gibson did two movies together, so it might have seemed like a thing. That and those movies happen. were? Gallipoli and The Year of Living Dangerously. What? This is why I love Paulo, because he knows these facts. <laughs> I've never even heard of those movies. Right? Year of Living Dangerously you've heard of, because that's the movie Linda Hunt won Best Supporting Actress for playing a man. Oh! Once again, Apollo at his finest. He nailed it! Linda Hunt, in case people uh, think that name sounds familiar but can't picture it, she... Say what? Is it Helen Hunt's mom? No. Oh my god. No, Helen Hunt would be a lot shorter. Um, <laughs> Linda Hunt, she's the principal in Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> She won an Oscar for playing a man. An Asian man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Piper yeah, Lori be jealous. <laughs> she's on a bunch of other stuff, too. Yeah, oh yeah. But, but yeah. How weird. Very weird. But, but yeah, yeah, no, Mel Gibson was not in this movie. No. <laughs> I, well, how satisfying would Mel Gibson be buried alive? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a lot of people. I feel like he wouldn't have committed as hard to screaming. He would have been like, ah. I, but here's the thing. Uh, Mel Gibson gets tortured in every movie he's in. Every single movie he's ever made. Oh, what about what a girl thing? wants? Or yeah, no, he gets oh, tortured. He, he gets electrocuted, yeah. Yes. Oh my god. Also the right. bathtub, yeah. <laughs> Actually, oh and lethal god. weapon, he gets electrocuted <laughs> in water also. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and he made Passion of the Christ, the world's ultimate torture <laughs> porn movie. <laughs> Yeah, didn't Jeff Caviezel get struck by lightning like oh, four times? A bunch of times. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh At least once. God. Well, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so Mel Gibson's thing is getting tortured just like Tom Hanks' thing is peeing? Yes. 
Weird. Weird. So weird. Wait, so what's Bill Pullman's thing? We really need Squinting. To Squinting? Uh, Squinting. Or the smirking. smirking. Yeah. <laughs> Squinting and smirking. Oh, pers- man. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. Hey, really quickly... Let's talk about what happens in this movie. <laughs> oh, you want to talk Wait, about before, the movie? Before we talk about that, I want—I want to know: Do you guys like this movie? I do for two thirds of it. Yeah, two thirds of it was it? It's a great movie. What's the third that you don't like? Third act. Yeah, the third and act. Like, <laughs> even Wes Craven says it. Like it's the whole third act. He's um. Look, uh, okay, this is a quote. Okay. Thank you, Remark. Uh, looking back, I wish we didn't have some of that hallucinatorious stuff at the end. But I must tell you that, again, at one point, Haiti itself was pretty hallucinatory. So in a sense, the moments were authentic. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. something about the end, smashing so- jars and releasing spirits, including Bill Pullman's personal Jaguar spirit. Not to mention two springboard-level jumps from our villain. <laughs> Who is oh, described yeah. as a blaxploitation Freddy Krueger. I think this is the second time that I'm saying it. I said it right this time. Yeah, which you know, is so true. The one thing I wrote is that he's like black exploitation inception in a lot of ways. Okay. In this, he's like he shows I, up in the dream. He even says like I know, I know what was in your dream because I was in your dream. <laughs> and also, not only that, but Bill Pullman has a totem, the jaguar, that helps him orient himself. Parallels. I would watch a Haitian Inception <laughs> remake. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Paolo? Buried in a coffin. You don't know where this coffin is going. You just know that the coffin is falling off a bridge in slow motion, (laughs) and you have to escape. (laughs) We'll just go deeper in the dreams. Okay, Paolo, but how do you feel about this movie? I I, the easiest way to say is on a five star scale, this is like a three and a half star movie Hmm. for me. Where it's like overall, I can't say it's a bad movie. I would never say this is a bad movie, but it has nothing in it that I inherently gravitate to where I would say I like it a lot. Like, I, 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 and the ending, yeah, the ending is, like, ridiculously out of place for the whole movie. Like, it's almost like the movie itself even segregates the ending from the rest of the movie because the first hour, this movie's an hour and a half, the first hour is the part that we all agree is, like, pretty consistent and solid. And then uh, at the end of that hour, Bill Pullman is forced at gunpoint onto a plane to leave Haiti and go back to America. And then there's the the rest of it where he has to fly back, and then once he flies back, it's, like, nothing but action sequences mm-hmm. and yeah. hallucinations and voodoo kidnappings and all sorts of stuff. And it just, like, constantly just keeps escalating and getting crazier and weirder and it's just like all right it, clearly they're building to some sort of like cathartic ending but it's not in the same piece as like this movie where a guy wanders around trying to find a drug that could help people right. <laughs> and, like the first two-thirds is using practical effects yeah. and then the last third they're using the cgi which you know all that night late 80s cgi yeah. has to offer yeah and the projected jaguar lights and um, rainbows. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't argue with you guys. I totally agree the third act is the weakest part. I like this movie. I do agree that the CG hurts the movie. But for me, this movie never stops. Uh, or it never is boring. No. There's no, like, dull part of this movie. And sometimes that is 
not accomplished well in horror movies. Mm. You know, there are, I've watched a lot of horror movies with you guys, and I've also slept through a lot of horror movies, (laughs) (laughs) and it's because, you know, usually you have to interlace really scary shit with breaks for the audience, and I think Wes Craven, despite his weaknesses in some ways, I think his biggest strength is he is really great at keeping the audience's attention. And I think he does that even with the CGI and the spirits coming out of jars and the <laughs> the guys jumping across rooms when it doesn't make any sense how they got that far in right. one leap. Um, <laughs> but I, I still think it's, like, effective as entertainment. Yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily effective in a cinematic way, but I think it's effective in a way where I'm like, I want to keep watching what's going on. I am interested by what just happened. (laughs) It's amazingly successful as a conventional movie while being a conventional movie about voodoo set in Haiti. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, he does, that's, like you said, that's part of what I was complaining about earlier, but I have to respect the fact that it's like, it doesn't just completely cheapen Haiti or voodoo. It, it like it doesn't get into it as much as I'd like to, but it's not like I, there's so many Hollywood movies. Let's say Criminal Strike, for example. <laughs> where this would be treated. A favorite of this podcast. This would be treated no. way worse. This like the Haiti and voodoo could have been portrayed so insultingly. Oh, yeah. Yes. And it's instead presented as a complex thing. I, but it's it's yeah, presented I mean, as it's, if it, it, like basically it is complex. It just the movie doesn't elaborate on the complexity. Mm-hmm. It just is like yeah, this is a multifaceted it's, thing. It's very clear that Bill Pullman's character is the outsider. Yeah, throughout the whole movie, and so the whole time, you know, you're even though he's your stand-in as the audience, like you're supposed to be sympathetic. For some. Well, for some. You're supposed to be sympathetic to right. his character. You know, like he got a stake through the scrotum. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Not something everybody experiences, so you're like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> it's a scrotum thing. Um, but it's clear that he is, even though he's this like medical researcher, he doesn't understand. He's not getting into the culture, the complexities of things. He's there for a purpose. Yeah. So um, I, I love to interject here yeah. um, because we're talking about the third act. And there's a really awesome backstory about third act. Yeah, okay. yeah let's hear it. Um, so one of the writers, um, so sing they out. sing out. There was a director's pass, so they wrote out third act. They test screened it, and they said it didn't work. Mm. And so they go to rewrite it. And one of the actors decides to go back to Haiti to rewrite it. Um, in his time, um, he decided to research the zombie part by visiting one of the most like powerful voodoo people in Haiti, um, and he wanted to be indoctrinated into the voodoo culture. Uh-oh. And one uh, and the guy who he was doing his research with has said, and you will be. Oh. And from there, he left and started, you know, writing in his room, in hotel room, and then all of a sudden he started to not reappear. And so after a few days, like, you know, what's great, one of the other producers went to go check on him, and, like, he wouldn't let them into his hotel room. Like, he was super paranoid and stuff like that. And then they finally gained entry, and they found all this, like, food that had not been eaten for the three days that he was there. And that, like, he was, like, spacey and out of it and, like, couldn't focus. And they're like, okay, we need to get you out of here. And so they sent him back to Miami where um, he would get a connecting flight to Los Angeles, and he met up with his wife, who he didn't even recognize. Whoa! And so, like... 
you know, he's going through all this, uh, this trauma, and then three days later, he just snaps out of it. And then, like, the last thing he recalls is the voodoo man saying, and you will be. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, cool. once again, all, you know, I feel like the backstory of the making of this film really it's... aided in, like, Yeah. I feel, like, more personally for the people making the film, but I feel like knowing the backstory, like, these people actually went through the hallucinatory stuff. Yeah. And, like, experienced kind of a sense of voodoo. Maybe they didn't convey that as well as they could have. Yeah. But it's pretty fascinating. All these people have different stories of working on this film and, like, walk away with, like, sometimes traumatizing anecdotes. It's so interesting how sometimes the making of the movie is better than the movie. No. Like, like um, Heart of Darkness. Yeah. Well, you haven't seen Apocalypse Now. I know. So I can't say that Apocalypse Now is bad or anything, but... Heart of Darkness is about the making of Apocalypse Now, and it was notoriously terrible. Like, they didn't they, like, ex, you know... Explode? It took, like, years to film it, and they were, like, blowing up... They had to blow up parts of the jungle, and... Um, Somebody and Mark, got super sick, Martin right? Sheen had a heart attack. Oh, that's right. Um, like, just stuff like that. It was just, like, madness. Like, the reason they, the documentary is called Heart of Darkness is because Apocalypse Now is, a re, is basically a reimagining of the book Heart of Darkness, yeah. but it's kind of by calling it that it's giving like making Coppola the Colonel Kurtz figure mm. of his own movie where he's the one who goes mad with power and well yeah, yeah. and I mentioned um I don't know Ricardo if you've seen A Geary Wrath of God I have not. but it is I mean the movie is great I will yeah, it's say a right out really great movie. it is a really great movie it's a Werner Herzog movie but he is Klaus went, Kinski in this movie? Yes! Yes, I've heard of this movie. It's yes. But he went, like, Werner Herzog went through hell to make this movie. Like, they literally made a raft and went. Well, it's set in, like, I want to say it's like 1400s or 1500s. It's South Isn't it America. The Amazon? I want to say it's Amazon, but it's, I'll just say for sure it's South America. It's like the jungles of South America. And because it's set in the 1400s or 1500s, it's Herzog, so he's like, okay. The raft we're going to use has to be built with the means that they would have built it in the 1400s. And then we're going to put the whole cast and crew on there and all of the camera equipment. And we're going to film the movie like that in South America. Why would this be a bad idea at all? Andy was working with Klaus Kinski. Oh my god. And so at one point, you told me this before, Werner Herzog had to take a gun to the set and he was like, Klaus, you're doing this scene or I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> Wasn't there like a documentary called Kill This Man about somebody oh, yeah. it was, and putting a hit out on a director? It was Klaus Kinski, but it was, you know, it was the director, the producers of Crawl Space uh, that like, my man, yeah. Crawl Space. Which is such a good movie. We saw yeah. Music Box of Horrors, but Crawl Space stars Klaus Kinski and apparently the producers at least considered putting a hit out on Klaus Kinski <laughs> because of how hellish he was to work with. Man, I can't believe he got so much work. He was, like, such a notoriously he terrible guy. He was great at acting, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, yeah, just, like, it, it seems like Serpent and the Rainbow has as rich of a backstory as, like, a Geary oh, Rath yeah. God. Yeah. I think what really, if anything, the problem, uh, another problem with the movie is just that the book Serpent and the Rainbow is kind of similar to like something like The Orchid Thief, where it isn't really inherently 
Yeah, how do you write a movie about that? And so, I actually, and saying it out loud, I think the best version of this movie would have been like the adaptation version where it's a bunch of people go to Haiti to make a movie about (laughs) About this this unfilmable novel and all these amazing, like, bizarre, horrific things happen and it just, like, just, I feel like that way because then we could have, everything that I would have wanted out of this world would still happen and all of these same events that we liked would have still fit in, mm-hmm. but they would have been justified more. But at the same time, it's like... Hello, it, yeah. you gotta stop talking because we could make that movie, but just about a different country. <laughs> <All right>. Copyright. <laughs> so, I want to focus on the um, the actors themselves. Okay. What do you think about the performances, performances of these mm. people? Hello. I really liked um, Brent Jennings as... Uh, Mozart. Mm. Oh, I thought he was great. I thought he was really great, and I I really liked Zakes Moquet as the villain. I thought both of them were really interesting in all of their scenes. Okay, so interesting backstory on Zakes Moquet. Um, So he grew up in South Africa during the apartheid. So this is interesting. His brother was imprisoned and hanged in his cell. (gasps) And then, um, is that um, Zakes? I guess. Uh, Yeah, Zakes. (laughs) Um, he was beaten in question and actually hung out of a four-story window by his ankles and was threatened to be dropped several times. Man, and what then, a like, badass. Right? And then brought in. This one, he was a young guy. And oh, brought shit. in and then beaten and then just let go. Man. You wow. know? So now, like, and, you know, like, once again, Rumor, Man. thank you very much. Like, thinking about his role now as, like, that yeah, the- had to pay, play some sort of, like, connection to like how he played the character like yeah, he's yeah he, extremely scary he's a good villain because what, what's the other movie he's a villain in isn't there another one we, that, you listed a few other things that he was in the only, the only thing you can think of now is Krippendorf's tribe <laughs> but yeah he never overplays this like it, it really again could very easily be a caricature of this character it's like a, it's not a, an unfamiliar type there are similar things right. but he really invests a lot of life into it. And same with with Mozart. Both of these guys have these roles that should be very forgettable. Their dialogue isn't necessarily memorable, but they, like, Mozart is such a playful, complicated character. Like, there's scenes where you are, like, rooting against him. You want Bill Pullman Mm -hmm. to pull one over on him, but other scenes you really like him. And... Uh, what is, is I, I forgot what his, uh, Zakes Moke's character's name is, because it's the Petroud. most, Petroud, it's the most Haitian name of all the characters <laughs> in the movie, but he does such a good job of, like, like, he, his grin conveys oh. so much of his menace. Yeah. That gold, too? Yeah, it's oh, just, like, yeah. it's, it's so little, he knows to not overdo it, he knows not to, like, it's his version grin, of d- Bill Pullman's smirk. Yeah, but he, and he doesn't, <laughs> Unlike Bill Pullman, he doesn't even need to use his eyes that much. Yeah. Like, kind of, he'll look, but it's all in the mouth. He, he's, like, acting with half of his face and doing a great job. Yeah. Oh, my God. I found out he's in Waterworld. Waterworld. And Outbreak. Which, <laughs> out, if you haven't seen Outbreak, oh my Thriller. Gosh. Yeah. That movie's... Hoffman. Yeah, but he's right? also in Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> I mean, I think him and Wes Craven must have stayed in touch. Charlie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but let's go back to what Paula said probably like 20 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> and describe the plot. Yeah. You want to take a stab? Well, if I was going to if I'm going to describe the plot, it's going to be really abbreviated, but it's basically Bill Pullman is this guy who's He's a medical researcher. He's a medical researcher who goes to like indigenous communities to like find their herb 
their herbs and drugs and things they herbs tetrodotoxin tetrodotoxin yes <laughs> well it's off the top of my head but first he's in the amazon like when we first meet him in the amazon he drinks this like special special drink <laughs> and, uh, that's what they call it. That's, you, you describe the hallucination he has, and then he, he meets his totem, which is this playful jaguar. And there's a beautiful scene of Bill Pullman wrestling with a real jaguar. Slash no jaguar. <laughs> yeah. Some shots where it's clearly like him over a camera with nothing. And then other shots where it's a I, stunt double. <laughs> I have to say, I really liked when he was, you know, in the, the hallucination scene, and he's going in that tunnel with all the hands that oh, are trying to yeah. grab him, and he's holding on to that dead hand hand and yeah. he's trying to make sure he doesn't fall and then he ends up falling it does one of those hilarious scenes where he's clearly like whoa back uh, like no. backwards with his hands yeah. and but then the, it cuts to him laying on the floor of the jungle holding like a dead root that looks like, oh, a, hand. That yeah. looks like a hand i was like oh i like that i like i like that yeah the the continuity of or the at least the context of how he could have had that hallucination, yeah. but it affected it, it was somewhat based in real life. I like that. Anyway, but after so after that, um, after he survives that and uh, gets out of the jungle, he goes back to Boston and he gets a job. Uh, he's he's brought into the BioCorp. Is BioCorp. The name of the company. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about the BioCorp. But guys. BioCorp, uh, the two guys at BioCorp, it's. Um, the guy who, his name is Paul Guilfoyle. I yeah. always think of him, I'm pretty sure I always think of him from The Negotiator. But He's also in Air Force One, and I know him because he's like the boss police chief guy on all of the original CSI. Yeah. And then <laughs> Alfred from Batman, a.k.a. Oh, Michael yeah. Gao. Sure. Sir. Uh, sure. But those two, <laughs> they basically say like, hey, Bill Pullman, have you ever heard of zombification? Uh, we would like you to go to Haiti and get the zombie drug. And he says, I'll do it. And he goes, and once he's there, it's just like the steps of him meeting, he meets his contact, well, and before, who's a beautiful wait, Haitian woman. Well, but before that even happens, the scene that Ricardo was talking about where they have the Haitian funeral mm. for Kristoff happens, which Kristoff is this reoccurring character who he took the zombification... Powder, it, yeah, 1978, it and then the movie set in 1985. Oh, wow, I yeah. missed that. I missed that, too. Yeah. And then they steal his coffin. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so he is kind of a zombie, but maybe not a zombie. But also but he an lives ally. In, but he lives in the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. just wander. Yeah, that's the only kind of ambiguous part of the movie. Yeah. They never really explain what, it. The, what the idea was that in the opening... They gave him the zombie drug, and they set you. You saw the coffin burning, so they they everyone clearly thought he was dead and had been immolated. And then after he was resurrected, they said something about him being a mental slave. And so I think mm. the idea of him living in the graveyard is that he is like still human, but the seven year ordeal that he was in has essentially rendered him like like low functioning. Like sure. he, he can do. He's like still human, but he can't really. Well, yeah, and imagine if you wake up in a coffin, that's got to have some kind of traumatic effect. Yeah, well, and I believe it's just something that minimizes your vital signs enough that some in this in a community where there isn't complicated medical re facilities, mm -hmm. people would be like, well, I'm feeling his arm and I don't feel a pulse, and so uh, he must be dead. 
And they put him on the ground, and then quickly that night, the person who gave him the drug digs him up and gives him the antidote or whatever, and it was like, I was able to resurrect you because I have power over you. And because I brought you to life, back to life, I you owe me for me and you life. Like you that, know, that was the way I understood how it was like literally supposed to work. So in that circumstance, if you have seven years of being like, this man brought me back to life, I'm dead, but I, I serve dead. him. Yeah, you probably would be pretty fucked up after yeah. after that. Uh, you know what? I was just thinking about that that drug text. Tetradoxin. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I uh, I bet that that uh, is now Detoxin. in the market or something because there's all those spy shows where they have to pretend they died and then they wake up like 12 hours later. I feel like I've watched a ton of shows where that happens. <laughs> You know, where somebody like unzips a body bag and they wake up and they're like, I made it! They bought it! I'm dead! But not really. Yeah, I wish they would just go back to like Street Fighter, sorry, Sony Chiba. <laughs> it just takes, you know, a certain hit, you know, to you wake up. up, to knock out and then wake up three hours later. The zombie punch. <laughs> okay, so going back to the plot. Bill Pullman meets the attractive woman. They go try to meet different Haitian people who can connect him to the zombie powder. He meets up with, uh, what's his name? Mozart? Mozart. Did he meet up with Mozart or Lucien first? I thought Lucien. Lucien's his Lucien. friend. Oh, yeah. He's his contact. He, like, knows him from before or something. And they, and Lucien's basically like, get out of this country. Yeah. You should not be here. It's... He's the voice of reason. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. Like whatever happens from here happens, uh, and then he dies. I, I gotta say, I love Paul uh, Winfield. He's so great. He's in White Dog, right? Yeah, and Terminator. Yeah, oh, yeah, man, he's in yeah. a bunch of stuff. Oh, and man. he is. Uh, he has a recurring. He had. He had. Well, he was alive. A recurring character on The Simpsons. Oh, Who was he? He's. You was remember he the jazz guy? No. Do you remember oh. Dredrick Tatum? Murder do you remember? Do you remember the Mike Tyson parody, Dredrick Tatum? Yeah. His manager, the Don King parody, oh. is voiced by Paul Winfield, oh. and I can't remember what his that character. I want to say it's like Lucius Sweet or something like uh, that. That sounds about right. Yeah. By the way, Paul Winfield yeah. is also in Cliffhanger. Yes, oh. I totally remember that. Sly Stone's best film behind porno. <laughs> and he's also in Mars Attacks. But anyway, okay, yeah. so we should mention that Bill Pullman and and Marielle, the female protagonist, protagonist have sex they, in a cave. They have sex in a cave near a waterfall, maybe a cenote. We couldn't decide what it was, <laughs> but it's slow mo sex. Mm. Uh, classic. Classic Cinemax staple, right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird sex too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not weird in the sense that they're like not having. It's sex. weird in that you're like, oh, I guess these characters are going to have sex yeah. now. Yeah. Like, like, guess we'll watch this in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't, go, I can't complain, but well, yeah. The other thing that was weird for me is they have sex, and then the rest of the movie, it like doesn't matter that they it's have like, sex. Yeah, it's totally not part of the plot. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter They don't at all. bring it up. They don't, like, no. act like they really love each other. No. Nothing. Like, yeah. none of those... Maybe th- why he came back to Haiti. Maybe, but, yeah, but, you know, I think he came back because he realized he brought Haiti back to the United States. Because <laughs> that's what happened to the wife. Who was chewing glass, like, in that Haitian ceremony. Oh, that was cool, too. I liked that scene. That was cool. That's also where the hand comes out of the soup scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so 
he ends up meeting up with Mozart. Mozart's like, oh, I'll make the powder for you, but you have to do it with me. So they go through all these steps. And then what's his, what's the, um, what's Zeke's character? Oh, Petrad? Petrad is like hunting him. And that's when the the scrotum piercing happens. Which again, it was like, I think the reason I forgot it is it is one of the faster scenes in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like they kidnap him. They tie him in this chair. They're like, we want to hear you scream. They put the steak through his scrotum, and then they throw him on the street. And then yeah. it's like, it is done. bloody underwear. And then in like three minutes, he's healed. Yeah, he's done. You just need a couple montages, of which this had <laughs> yeah. many montages. Yeah. Okay. And then you're all right. Yeah. That's how scrotum healing works, right, guys? Yep, true. This is science. <laughs> it's just science. So then he continues to look for the powder. He finally gets the powder from Mozart, and he... Well, Mozart gives him the powder on the plane. Right. When and he's going back to the United States because he's getting, like, extradited, kind of? Kind unofficially? Of. He's forcibly thrown onto a plane by secret police at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, all right, see you later. Peace. Yeah. Have a good flight. But he's still... But once he gets back to the United States, he's still being haunted or he's seeing these hallucinations. His mind's never and, free. And he's at a dinner party with the medical uh, researcher Goonies. And they're all talking like, oh, this will make us millions. Girls card. Oh, oh yes. I love this soup. Great big rich. Yes, exactly. And then the wife of the CSI guy, Paul Guy Foyle. Guilfoyle, yeah. She ends up being possessed, it seemed like. Which they don't address ever, but after... She gets possessed. Yeah. Yeah. So she gets possessed. She's eating a glass, uh, a wine glass. (laughs) And then she like jumps over the table to attack Bill Pullman with a knife. Cuts his forehead, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then, he, next thing we know, he's on a plane back to Haiti. Yeah, he literally he's doesn't like, even walk fully out of the apartment before the airplane cuts the airplane landing <laughs> in Haiti. It's that quick. Um, he gets back. Lucian intercepts him before the secret police can. Lucian takes him back, gives him, like, does Blood, like, blood uh, Ash Wednesday. Uh, yeah. yeah, Blood Cross <laughs> on the head and the chest. Blood, blood Wednesday. And gives him, like, the, the rosary and basically says... You're protected. All right, I'm going to die now. Yeah, <laughs> <Peace>. dies. <laughs> and then right when he dies, Bill Pullman's like, whoa, what's happening? And a guy runs up and blows the zombie powder directly in his face. Right. And then basically... Uh, he gets buried alive. He gets buried. But not before the titular, or I mean the token Craven, like wandering around, yeah. like meandering, instead of running straight. Well, yeah. I mean, he's zombified. Yeah, but, but he's still like, ripping he, people's t-shirts. like blurry, yeah, the blurry vision, and people are like, they know he's going to be a zombie, they don't want anything to do with him, and he gets buried. Um, They're going to take the doctor, what's her name? The female lead, Kathy Tyson. Yeah. They're going to take her and cut her head off so that Petrod has her spirit. And Bill Pullman wakes up in the graveyard, and he's screaming, and Kristoff, who lives in the graveyard, hears him and recognizes that uh, it's, like, another zombie, so he digs him up, and Bill Pullman goes... Well, before Bill Pullman can get to where Petrod is going to kill the doctor, Baby Doc and his wife and a few other people, apparently... This is a real thing that happened, but they all flee the country. 
they all like go mm. to the airport and just flee, which essentially means that they like that everyone in the, the country dictatorship's over. is over, yeah. and so people are celebrating, Rioting. and because they're celebrating, all of the secret police are helping Petrod do the ceremony where he can take Kathy Tyson's soul. Uh, they run out. They were going to cut her head they off. They were going to cut her head off, and they all just abandon Petrod, and then he yeah, slaps her. The and Bill Pullman shows up, and then it's like that crazy ending scene. Yeah, the Smucker <laughs> smash a palooza. Yeah, where jars get smashed. But one thing we didn't mention. One thing we didn't mention is that Zakes uh, or uh, Petrad. Yeah. He ends up getting the stake through his penis. Ooh. Yeah. Or Strodem or whatever. Piercer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he actually, so once they break all the spirits, he catches on fire and burns up and then disappears. Mm -hmm. And then it's his ghost whose scrotum gets staked. Do you think yeah. it hurts more as a ghost or as That's a human? Soul, it's the I soul feel. of your scrotum. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Scrotum souls that are doesn't very heal. sensitive, according to science. I don't think that heals up. No. There's no healing that. Once your soul's damaged. But more specifically, soul scrotum is damaged. <laughs> also, soul scrotum is my debut album coming out next month. <laughs> and my soul asylum cover band. <laughs> soul scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but that's the whole movie. Yep. Wow. That really was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think we... Uh... Yeah, do you have any other little things we got it. you wanted to mention? Um, oh, we should talk about the title. No, oh, The Serpent and the Rainbow. Yeah, yeah uh, at least according to the movie, the reason it's called Ser Serpent and the Rainbow is the serpent represents Earth, mm. and the rainbow represents sky. And it doesn't heaven. Or heaven. heaven. Okay, heaven, yeah. sky, whatever. If you don't believe in heaven, you believe in the sky. And heaven <laughs> and Earth, together we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Man, let's get sloppy. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. So, serpent's earth, uh, rainbow is heaven, and man is caught somewhere in between, okay. and that's what voodoo. Man floats in the sky. Ionosphere, <laughs> <laughs> to be exact. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so since man is somewhere in the middle, voodoo is the practice of like combining the two. Okay. At least that's what I got out of it. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. I don't know. They yeah. like, like I said, as part of my complaint, they don't really elaborate on yeah. stuff like that. In so, this another thing, which I think is crazy, this movie, the original cut of this movie, was three hours. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. Three hours! Can you imagine watching this for three hours? No. Wes Craven came out and he was like, oh, you know, it was a little too talky, so I cut half of it. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally 50% of the But work. it feels like three hours at yeah. times during uh, this the yeah, production. Yeah. It's not that it's an unentertaining three hours, but it feels like... It's like, well, come on, what's happening? Yeah. yeah. This also had a $7 million budget, and it made almost $20 million. Cool. So that's why Wes Craven still got to make movies. Yep. Yeah, Wes Craven is very reliable uh, at, the, at the box office. Yeah. Do you think if he had still lived, he would have made a Scream 5? Yeah. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Do you think it would have been one of those ones where five would have been incorporated as a letter in Scream? Like the E? Yeah. So it's like Scrifiving. Scrifiving. Fiveum. Yes. I Actually, I think that's what they did with Scream Four. I think the four is the A. Yeah. So it's like Scream Four. <laughs> it's pure genius, if you ask me. 
Too fast, too, too screen. Yeah. <laughs> Tokyo Drift. Yeah. Um, ah. yeah so All right, well, walk... you guys got anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, unless you got anything. I personally do not. I do enjoy this film. Right. I will say, you know, as my final thought, um, that this was a very entertaining film. In regards to learning anything about Haitian or voodoo culture, maybe not so much. Yeah. But Read a book. Um, if you <laughs> have an hour and a half, and it's got some pretty decent jump scares. Yeah. yeah. Some awesome practical effects. Mm-hmm. Some lackluster CGI. <laughs> um, and some very confusing, I guess, overall plot devices. Yeah. But I still felt like for, you know, 90 plus minutes, yeah, there's worse ways to spend your time. Oh, yeah. And especially if you so. haven't seen this movie before, all this, uh, this movie would have to play way better on a first viewing than on third or fourth oh, viewing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Because, like, with, without the extra context to, like, watch for, you're just relearning the plot. You're relearning the same information. But yeah. the first time through, yeah, all this stuff would catch you off guard and the, the hallucinatory quality of it would be more disarming. And so, yeah, uh, a first time viewer, there's no reason to skip this movie. Especially if, you're, yeah. especially if you're a Wes Craven fan. Yeah. There's no reason to not watch this if right. you like Wes Craven. Yeah, definitely watch this film. But also watch People Under the Stairs. Yeah, that that's so really good. Bing Rhames, man. Yeah. Ugh. Fuck. Man, that movie's so good. It Nobody is. talks about it. No. I For whatever reason, people don't think it's very good. What? I don't know. It I mean, the name doesn't imply yeah. good. <laughs> I have to say. It is a little bit of a spoiler. There are people there, under the stairs. Under the stairs. <laughs> And it stars that mm, beefy guy from those. <laughs> Is that aren't the bad guys the Twin Peaks? Yeah, couple? it's like it's oh, the couple yeah. from Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and Neil Frogert's in it too, right? I yeah. just love the name Frogert. Uh, okay, well then let's get. Let's I can our... go for some Frogert right now. Well, right after this, right <laughs> he's after... the main like guy under the stair, right? Yeah, yeah, he's the yeah. one that like, I think he has no tongue, but he helps mm-hmm. the girl. Yeah. The girl from is it? What's her name from so- My So-Called Life? I feel like it's, Claire Danes? it's a movie full of, oh, yeah. what's their person's yeah, name? Yeah, it's a lot of TV actors. Yeah. Now, but good TV I know actors. them from things not mentioned. Yeah. But uh, I guess we should get into our teachable moment then. All right, go, Paolo. All right, you want me to go? Go, Paolo. Go, go Paolo. Go, Paolo. Bill, 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 Bill. Okay, so <laughs> we talked about this with Kripendorf Tribe, and this is the opposite, where here is an example of you don't necessarily need to portray something offensively if you don't understand it. <laughs> like, it is possible to... So teachable <laughs> in this modern age. It is trouble. possible to make a movie where a ho- you have a white guy go to Haiti and have horrible things happen to him, and Haiti isn't treated like hell. Right? Isn't like, uh, and like, it's not Haiti's fault. The Haitians. And they went to Haiti and had bad things happen to them in Haiti, and they still were like, well, let's let's show a modicum of restraint in our portrait of Rude. Haiti. These are humans. Right. And it is so it is so possible to do this, oh folks. My, like, I mean, <laughs> the anecdotes that I've shared, yeah. you could totally have a totally racist view of Haiti. Yeah. But and they didn't take that. Recently. Yeah, it's like, come on, people. Like, it's common sense. Uh, like, just watch this and be like, oh, yeah, th- it's ridiculous how often Hollywood fucks this <laughs> up. Like, every, well, not even, not even just oh, Hollywood. Yeah. Ev- so many people. Anyone who makes movies. <laughs> Crash. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, we're going to elaborate on that in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that is my teachable moment. Um, I think that's good. All right. 
You want I to feel, hear? yeah, you should totally close this out. But, like, research your movies, people. Like, the, the making of this movie is probably a little more fascinating than the actual movie. <laughs> like, so much happened to this cast and crew, and they still stuck with it. They weren't racist, which is awesome. Kudos <laughs> to them. Um, where they easily could have been. And they could have been stereotypical, but they, they chose a different route. They stuck to the vision. Yeah, it wasn't a complete version of, what's his name, Wade Davis's like, actual long-winded name book. But, like, and it wasn't exactly the pure horror film. It was, like, this kind of amalgamation of, like, several ideas. And it, it turned out to be a very entertaining, although not necessarily coherent film. But it's definitely worth a view if you've never seen this before. Um, I agree. Yeah. I also like that they took a non-fiction book about Haiti and turned it into a fictional horror movie. <laughs> and it still isn't offensive. That's true. <laughs> That's a feat. That's a feat in itself. Good now, point. Good point. Uh, my teachable moment is something that we've all been saying is, you know, sometimes CG is not better. Actually, most times... Yeah, CG is not for me. I'm not a big CG fan. I think that's why most, like, modern horror movies, I, I'm i like, come on. You, unless it's, like, a human hurting another human in a horror movie, <laughs> it's usually not that successful. Or Lord of the Rings. I kind of like yeah. their CG. Yes, guy. okay, fair enough. Lord of the Rings is pretty good. And, yeah. the, I mean, Harry Potter in the same Oh, yeah, yeah. But even good CG requires a lot of work. And people yeah. are just like, no, it's CG. It's it, All the work is already done. <laughs> right. It'll fix itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that Wes Craven also is a proponent of not using CG. A lot of his movies are very True. practical, like, like you were saying, practical, practical set yeah. pieces. Uh, like, I, God, the, the, the sequence where... Bill Pullman has that dream where he is getting buried alive, and it has a few different cuts in it, but the thing that the cuts do is it, it changes the depth mm. of what his dream is. Like, at certain points, he's dreaming, and he's in this really tight coffin, and he's actually in a really tight coffin. Yeah, that was a really then, tricky scene to shoot. And then there's saying. another scene where he's, like, deep in a deep, deep coffin. You know, he's like way down at the bottom and you're seeing this shot from above of Petrard looking down at him. Or there's the scene where the blood is just filling the coffin. Like all those, those are all like practical scenes where they had to build the coffin and fill it with actual, probably not actual blood. But (laughs) you get what I'm saying. Like it looks real. And CG doesn't look real. We haven't gotten to the point yet where Reality is blurred. Right. You know, there's still, you still have to suspend belief to see CG and actually in your mind think, okay, yeah, that's, oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a reason why, like, Jurassic Park is, I, I wouldn't say Jurassic Park is uh, a great movie, in my opinion. I think it is a staple in American cinema. Yeah. And part of that is because they use, like, robotics and, it's not CG dinosaurs. Like, that's for me why Jurassic Park... I mean, there's CG, but CG is used to augment practical effects. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And all those those movies, like, from the 80s where they used puppets as, like, like gremlins or critters or, like, any Demons. of those... Yeah, any of those movies. Those movies are great because the monsters seem real. Yeah, actors are looking at the monster when they're reacting to it instead of, like... Looking at a tennis ball and screaming. Yeah. Like, oh. I know we just talked about this uh, in the episode with Courtney, but when we, we just saw the movie Life, 
with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. Oh and gosh. the monster in that movie is only CG. And because it's only CG, it's like not scary. Yeah. Actually, it kind of looks like a slug. Yeah. Um, Slugs. It's, it's like a flying a slug. A future secret cinema. <laughs> Check out Slugs if you don't know Slugs. Oh, yeah. Slugs is great. One of us wanted to read the book. <laughs> slugs, a Harvard uh, scientist astonishing journey into slugs, Haitian voodoo, and <laughs> But yeah, anyway, um, my teachable moment is no CG. I like it. <laughs> CG is dead. Yeah. yeah, well, thanks for watching this movie with me, guys. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for picking for it. And thank you, and thanks viewers, for, for watching it in advance. Yeah. Two, everyone but me picked this movie. It's true. So guys. <laughs> we did it! Yay! Yay! Alright. Um, well, and also, nice. thank you, Ricardo, for all of our wonderful theme songs. Which will end, uh, possibly air at the end of this episode. Oh, All of them? Yeah. This is going to be a long episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like 17 minutes worth of music. Yeah. That is a lot of music. Uh, soon you... to be released LP on vinyl. Oh. No, that's probably not going to happen. But one can dream. Um, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Someday. Someday. Just like Some we made way. this episode happen two years wow. later. It's beautiful. We'll do it. Someday over the rainbow. Oh! <laughs> this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo. I'm Gary. And I'm Ricardo. Thanks for listening. Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Carone. All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode. All logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chapin. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash paolocarone or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema Podcast, on Twitter at Covert Celluloid, or like us on Facebook. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. The Secret Cinema is a product of Larry Levy Productions. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.